HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Danone North America, the world's largest B Corp, committed to doing all kinds of better for people and the planet. Learn more at DanoneAwayFromHome.com. This week on Meet and 3, we're looking at things that have changed and things that are still in flux. From mothers balancing new lifestyles to the social stigma surrounding pumpkin spice. You got rid of the star rating system and talked about, like, I'm not going to use the word ethnic when I talk about food. They recognized that safety was our motivation, and, and they were very you know, receptive to the changes, understanding what we were trying to accomplish. A cupcake or a piece of bacon or a glass of rosé is not inherently gendered. Tune in to Meet and 3 HRN's weekly food news roundup, wherever you listen to podcasts. Well, hello. Welcome to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer, and it is Wednesday, November 18th, 2020. This is the 272nd episode of this series, which is dedicated to behind-the-scenes talent in the hospitality industry. Today, my guest is a wonderful photographer who is the co-founder of Black Food Folks, and I will introduce him fully in a moment. First, as I do on every show, I will start out with my PR tip, then later, we will have my speed round game, industry news discussion, solo dining experience, and the final question. As the founder of Bayer Public Relations, I'm going to tip the show off with my PR tip of the week. So today's tip is to persevere. Let's never give up on our dreams, our goals, and our desires. No matter what obstacles we face or challenges that come our way, let's keep moving forward and follow our instincts ignoring any naysayers and instead listening to our own hearts. It is never too late to do anything or be anything and achieve success. So let's go after what we want as perseverance prevails. That's my tip today. Now I'm excited to have my guest here with me. It is Clay Williams. He is a Brooklyn-based photographer specializing in food, drinks, and events. Clay has over a decade of experience documenting the ins and outs of our industry, shooting for the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, James Beard Foundation, and more. Clay is the co-founder of Black Food Folks, a fellowship of black food and drink professionals, a place to come together and share information. So hi, Clay. Welcome to the show. Hey, Sherry. It's great to be here. It's great to have you. Um, so much to talk about. I... I I love that I know you through the industry, through your work in photography and um, having seen you at events. I do miss events. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I totally miss events. Yeah, but um, let's start out with your background. How did you get into photography? Uh, What what inspired you to to start shooting and then um, dive into the food and beverage space? Um, I was first interested in photography way back in high school and I studied, uh, black and white darkroom photography, um, 
um, here at school here in Brooklyn um, when I was growing up. And it was a hobby, but it wasn't something I, I ever thought of as a career. Um, it wasn't until uh, I started my first career as a IT professional um, supporting creatives that uh, I was looking for my own creative outlets. And um, uh, through the work, I ended up um, I ended up playing a lot with uh, digital cameras, um, and it became. Um, it, it, it went from being something that I just was playing with to something that, um, uh, that become, became something I, I sort of craved doing more and more. I wanted to tell more stories. I wanted to, um, to, um, I don't know. I wanted, uh, I wanted to explore that outlet for myself. And so, um, you know, I started blogging and and posting on various websites and this was in the time when when the big blogs started becoming a thing in the the early to mid aughts like oh five or six or seven um i was posting to sites like Flickr and tumblr and whatever and folks saw that i was i was going to these places i was seeing the things that were happening and documenting them in, you know, I, I like to say Brooklyn as before it became the brand or like as it was becoming a brand, um, you know, the, yeah the, the, the whole animal butchering and the, you know, the homemade ingredients and, and, and doing the whole, um, farm to table movement, like from the ground up. Um, and, uh, I, I just, it just happened to be one of the things that I was documenting and I was there when a lot of it sort of started taking off and I just followed it from there. So it was an interest in food or going to those type of events and just, you just naturally were covering it. Um, kind of yeah. like how I naturally just like to go to restaurants. <laughs> yeah, more or less, because, you know, I, I also naturally like to go to restaurants and, uh, and photography became the sort of, uh, a sort of part of all that, you know, this was when more places were doing open kitchens and I, I like to cook myself. And so, um, so I always wanted to get a tip. I always wanted to learn something new or see how something was done. Um, I don't have any sort of formal training, certainly in the kitchen. And so, um, and so, uh, I, I, you know, I always wanted a glimpse in, um, to see, see the action, to see the scene. And, um, as I was, that happened as I was, um, spending more time with photography. So it, it was basically a sort of natural extension of that. Um, uh, just, you know, documenting all that while I was doing it. So did, did you have any, any mentors or, or how did, are you just self-taught in photography? I mean, I did study photography in school. I did take uh, photo classes, um, all through high school. Uh, I, you know, I didn't, I, I, I didn't study it in, in college. I wasn't in an MFA or journalism program or anything like that. But, um, but, uh, but yeah, as far as like the more professional, um, work, I, I did teach myself a lot. And in along the way I did, um, meet, um, a number of people who, who helped me and who were there to mentor me. Um, um, uh, we were just talking about my other, uh, run-ins with, uh, HRN and, uh, Michael Harlan Turkel, um, who's also been a host, mm -hmm. um, uh, on Heritage, um, was, you know, was, was very, uh, had, had a huge impact on me, um, um, you know, when he was the photo editor for, uh, Edible Brooklyn and Edible Manhattan, um, he would host gatherings with other photographers, uh, to, um, to show each other's work and to meet and to talk shop and, and that sort of thing. Um, he always has, 
uh, he's always been there to offer advice for me, um, you know, um, and, and so early on, he gave me some of my first big opportunities and really the, a lot of the advice that, that helped me move forward. Ah, uh, that's great. I, his yeah. show, the food scene. Yeah. He, yeah. um, he's taken a break from it. Uh, right. but it's, uh, he's definitely, um, amazing photographer and, uh, yeah. and a host at, from HRN that people can go back to the archives and listen to. Right. Exactly. Uh, so do you have any uh, favorite assignments you've had over the years or events? I mean, I feel I would, I saw you a lot at the James Beard house. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I, uh, actually, actually, this is interesting. It's Michael who, who connected me to the Beard Foundation um, when I first started shooting for them in 2013 or so. That's cool. Um, yeah, um, he had, you know, he used to shoot as a volunteer for them. Um, and when they were looking for more, uh, I, you know, and this was when I was, um, I was just a year or two into being a photographer full time. Um, it, it was an opportunity for me to, to, to connect with more chefs, more people in the industry, to have more um, sort of connections with the way things work and, and to get to know people. To this day, the foundation is still one of the ways I I know most of the, the people in my, in my community, in my network. Um, um, but as far as favorite assignments, I mean, that all changes through the years. Um, you know, I, I, um, I've worked with a lot of different, uh, a lot of different organizations and I do, a, 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 I do some different work. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting. A lot of people say that, um, photographers are either really good at events or really good at like sort of more fixed scene sort of things. And I've always been a little bit of an in-between with that. Um, I, um, I sort of enjoy both. Um, and I feel like my, I feel like that work, each side impacts the other. Um, you know, I, I think of myself a bit as a documentary photographer. And so, um, and so being able to catch moments at say a dinner party or at like, you know, a big event, a gala or something like that inform in, informs and impacts the way that I can, catch action in the kitchen and, um, and really tell stories in, in a sort of different way. Um, sorry, that's a, that's a sort of long winded <laughs> version yeah. answer to the question, but, but yeah, I, I, um, I, if I had to pick one thing that, uh, certainly that I miss this year, um, it's the, um, the chef's boot camp that the, the Beard Foundation, um, has been doing. Um, I photographed all three of them last year in Georgia, Vermont and upstate New York. And, and that was always, it was always a great experience, you know, getting away, getting sort of more direct interactions with, um, with chefs and people in the industry. Um, and, and just generally having a really sort of good experience. Yeah, no, that, I mean, that, that sounds like a wonderful, uh, assignment to have and, and I hope it comes back in, in years to come. And your work is beautiful from, from your portraits to your event coverage and up close pictures of food and drink. You, you are able to capture all that, um, which is, you know, I think why you've you've excelled in in the food and industry space, uh, food and beverage space. But um, you also did a book uh, with uh, a Queen's book, right, with Joe DiStefano. Yeah, yeah, Joe. Um, uh, Joe and I um, put together the. Well, Joe wrote and I photographed um, a book called "111 Places in Queens That You Must Not Miss." Um, which is part of a bit larger global travel series of um, 
of of sort of books that are that are for locals as much as visitors um and uh that was that was a lot of fun um i got to i mean you know joe is joe's wonderful and he just knows the ins and outs of queens so well that um you know i was born in queens but um uh, but i've lived in brooklyn for most of my life and and you know every every time i was going to go and shoot it was um it was a new adventure it was a it was a great experience um and then i went and i, I did another assignment for the same uh company the following year where it was 111 rooftops in new york that you must not miss um that was uh that was also you know literally a new perspective on the city um uh seeing the seeing new york from above is is just amazing yeah oh, that's cool yeah i had joe yeah. on my show uh awesome. i looked it up back on episode 60 and he's yeah he he's so knowledgeable um and uh that must have been a fun fun to work with him on that covering yeah that's great yeah um so before before we get to the next subject let's let me mm -hmm. ask my question from my last guest on episode okay. 271, I had on Manit Chahan. She mm -hmm. is the president and partner of Morph Hospi Hospitality Group, which mm -hmm. includes Chahan Ale and Masala House, Tansu, Chatable, and The Mockingbird, all in Nashville. She's mm -hmm. a judge on Food Network's Chopped, and she's the author of a new book called Chat, uh, Recipes from Kitchens and Markets and, and Railways of India from the kitchens, markets, and railways of India. There we go. Uh, so her question, how much does capturing the essence of food and showing it to the world show the soul of the person who's behind making it? Hmm. You know, I, I, I thought it was deep. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, it's interesting. I mean, I'm, um, it's one of those things I have a hard time with the title of food photographer because I feel like I photograph so much more than that. And I, you know, I love, I love taking photos of food, but I feel like the people are so much, so much a part of, of all of that, that like, I don't know if I could just do food on its own without, you know, I want it in somebody's hands. I want someone someone touching it, someone enjoying it, someone plating it, right? Um, uh, I think that that uh, is a huge part of what um, what imbues that, like, that sense of, of place and, and soul and personality to it. Um, I think that the food itself can certainly... Uh, can certainly be put together in a way that gives off a lot of a lot of those things, but, but I always like to include the person and the process a little bit in, um, in the work that I'm doing most of the time. Yeah. Well, that's cool. That makes sense. So, um, let's get into, uh, black food folks that you sure. co-founded with Colleen Vincent, who right. is from the James Beard foundation. Yep. So how did you guys um, meet, well, meet and then come up with um, this collaboration? That, um, and I believe you started it in 2019. Yeah, it's, uh, we're getting pretty close to our second anniversary. Um, we're, I guess, about two, three months away from that. Um, and... And, uh, yeah, it's a, it's an interesting thing. The whole, you know, it, it, all of those, all of what we had in mind when we first started doing this has, has kind of been turned on its head, but at the same time, I think, I think has given us just more opportunities to do the sort of the main idea behind it, which was connecting and supporting, um, black professionals in the industry. Um, uh, I mean, as to how it started, um, Colleen and I met through the years at, uh, while I was volunteering and later working for the for the foundation, um, 
Um, we, you know, uh, would, uh, one of the things about the way the dinners work is that, um, the, the photographer usually has a seat at the table, gets to, gets to, uh, eat the, uh, eat the dinner as well, um, at the dinners at the beard house. And so, um, you know, for me, I always found it a little disruptive when I was at a big table with a bunch of folks having to get up uh, between every course to go back to the kitchen. So I always looked for a, um, I always looked for uh, either a solo table or to sit with um, with whoever the host was, um, you know, from the foundation. And Colleen and I would often be uh, that would always that would often be Colleen and I. Um, sitting together and so we we met and we talked and we'd have like these conversations about the state of the industry and the, and, and where things are and um and so we connected over that through the years uh i think we officially were introduced by uh, our mutual friend nicole taylor who is also a huge inspiration in in how and why we we launched black food folks but um but really the impetus came from conversations that both of us would have with other people around the industry um, about about representation not in the sense of you know not just in the sense of like are there enough black people in this room but in the sense of um, if I would be talking to uh, a food writer um, they would want they would be telling that you know we'd sit down and we'd have a drink and and they would be, they would tell me about how, you know, there's this dish that I grew up with or this type of food or this something that I grew up with. And every time I try to pitch this uh, to an editor, they either don't understand or they want to pigeonhole it into soul food or they say, oh, well, you know, we do the black stuff in February. Right. Um, um you know, I would talk to uh, I would talk to chefs, and they would have similar stories where, you know, the 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 media, the writers, um, or the you know funders or whoever the gatekeepers are, um, would not understand the concept that they're trying to to put across, and it's it's all because um, there's this issue of there's this myth. Uh, of the lack of representation of black people in food and um, this idea that, oh, well, there just aren't that many black folks in food. And that's, I mean, one, that's not really true. Um, There are plenty. Uh, But two, really the issue is with, um, with representation in the roles of decision makers and funders. Um, and so, you know, uh, Colleen says, I, I, I always talk way too much about this part, but, um, (laughs) but that was the, that's the, you know, that's, that's the long and the short of it is that we decided that, you know, the thing to do, um, at, at, at the start, at the very least was to just get folks in the room so that they could talk to each other, they could support each other. Um, if, you know, if, a big publication wasn't going to run the story, then maybe we know someone with an indie publication or a smaller publication who, who might be interested in it, or maybe, you know, this person who's run into that problem, uh, might have a better solution. Um, and so, you know, we started that with this idea of, you know, uh, I always say, uh, you know, we tried to get, the idea was to get, you know, maybe 20, 30 people in the back room of a bar to have some drinks. And, um, our first event, uh, you know, the middle of February, uh, we in Flatbush, no less, um, we ended up getting, uh, over a hundred people come through. Um, and it was, it was like a family reunion. Um, even when the people didn't necessarily know each other, so they knew somebody who knew somebody and, there was just this connection and this feeling that um, that's very different from, you know, and I, I've been in very many food events through the years and I've never seen anything like that before. 
Um, and I think that that, to me, put the lie to the idea that there aren't many Black folks in food. Um, you know, we had folks come in from from you know from Connecticut, from New Jersey, from D.C., from Detroit, um, just for this one gathering and. You know, it was something that we put together in just a week or two. Um, you know, every time f from then on, every time I went to an event and, you know, someone would ask me, well, how come there aren't any black chefs or how come there aren't this many people and, you know, this many black people in food or whatever? I, I then understood that the issue wasn't that, that we're not there. It's that um, we were being ignored. Um, and so that led to our sort of second step, which, um, which was, um, what black food folks did up until, you know, up until the lockdown, which was largely spend time focusing on profiling, um, the people, uh, and the, the, the work that black folks are doing in the industry. Um, I guess that's still what we do, but now we do it, um, in a slightly different way. We're doing it with one-on-one -on -one conversations and, and sort of shows and talks, um, um, mostly on Instagram. Um, but you know, that's, that's where that all, that's how that all came yeah. together. Yeah. I was going to ask how the pandemic, um, impacted the work you were doing and the black lives matter movement. I, I mean, as I've seen, I feel on Instagram, you guys are extremely active. I think whenever I'm on it, there seem, there's, there's conversations, you know, which is right. amazing that you're, you're providing so much uh, content and so many interviews and dialogues. Um, I did some Instagram lives myself uh, a couple of months ago, just because it was, I felt it was this platform that everyone was home and people are on right. their phones and on it. And I felt it was a great way to, to reach um, people. So I, you know, yeah, I, I think what you're doing is, is smart and makes sense. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. We, uh, you know, we saw that people were doing these lives and doing these conversations and, um, and at that time in particular, we knew a bunch of people who, who had been entirely, thrown for a loop by, uh, by the pandemic, um, by all the, you know, the whole situation. Um, there were a number of chefs, uh, Omar Tate, um, uh, Aretta, uh, Itar from Gramercy, a sous chef at Gramercy Tavern, um, uh, in a, a, a bunch of other folks who suddenly had time on their hands. And, um, and we, you know, for me, I wanted to have, I didn't want it to be the, like the Clay and Colleen show. I just want, I wanted to, to have conversations that really reflected different perspectives of the community. Uh, and so, you know, our first talks, I, in a lot of cases went to folks like them and said, you've got time. We have a network, you know, if you could talk to anybody in the industry, who would you talk to? Um, and, you know, in a lot of cases, we were able to make those things happen. Um, Omar talked to Dr. Lenny Sorensen, who, who was a, um, a farmer and academic in, in rural Virginia, um, um, you know, who I did, whose work I wasn't familiar with. And he, you know, I mean, Omar is, Omar is brilliant anyway, but like one of the things that always grabs me about like what he does is how much it's about him wanting to learn these things himself. Um, and, you know, to be able to facilitate a conversation where, you know, there, where he's, I mean, that, that conversation went on for, I think like two hours and change. And, you know, a lot of it was just oral history. Um, and it was, yeah. It was fantastic. And so being able to do those things, we, we do still do usually at least one conversation a day, um, every weekday. And we have since, um, 
um, since the end of April, we're getting close to, um, we're getting close to, if we haven't already broken 200 talks that we've done, um, the internet has eaten a few of them, uh, through the months, but, um, um, so I don't know the exact number, but, uh, but it's been good. It's been great to a great way to build community, a great way to highlight the work that people are doing. Um, we're going into the holidays when, you know, um, people are thinking about giving back. And so, um, and we can talk about that later, but so yeah. we, you know, we're doing yeah. to sort of encourage people to, to give and to support other businesses. Yeah. Um, well, speaking of give back, um, mm-hmm. how did black food folks give back grant program come about? Um, which I think you announced, uh, very recently, a couple of days ago last yeah. week. Um, yeah, just a week uh, or so ago. Yeah, which is 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 awesome. Yeah, uh, we're really excited about it. Um, uh, the way it came about, it, and it's a it's a sort of long process the way some of these things go. But you know, in the the wake of the the I don't really know what what to call it the the events of June um, following the murder of George Floyd and the um, uh, sort of uprisings across the country, um, you know, a lot of businesses, a lot of folks put up black squares, um, which I mean, I guess, um, but a lot of businesses, um, took the opportunity to sort of put their money where their mouths are. And, um, and so Talenti, um, the gelato company, um, came to us and said that they want to support what we're doing and they wanted us to be able to support the work of others in the community that we think um, uh, could use it or or deserved it or whatever. And so, you know, it it was it's months later now, but um, um, just because of the way that these things go, um, and honestly, in part because you know Colleen and I have a lot of other things to do. Um, but we finally were able to put this together and, um, you know, we selected, um, we selected 10 organizations, both for profit, nonprofit that we think are, uh, uh, that we think are, are worthy of support that are actively fundraising right now. Um, as a way to encourage our followers and, and everybody else to, um, to, to donate, to support, to, to build, uh, help them build, um, what they're working on. One of the, you know, biggest long-term issues in, in, um, in terms of inequality in, in business, uh, in this country, it has always has has been the lack of investment um, funds. Um, um, black businesses are much less likely to uh, to get bank loans, to get bank loans with good terms, to get uh, investors, all of those things. Um, and so, um, you know, one of the priorities for us. I mean, we're a, an organization that's about supporting business and supporting people in this business. And one of the ways to do that is to, you know, is with actual physical money. Um, you know, if it's, it's one thing to, you know, to list people and, and all that, but, um, you know, um, but if they don't have the funds to actually do the work they need to do, um, then it doesn't actually amount to anything. Um, and so we're giving each of those groups $5,000. Um, they vary from media, uh, organizations like while entertaining magazine and Afros and knives podcast, uh, to farming groups like, um, here in Brooklyn, it's Oco farms, which is an aquaponics farm. Um, um, Omar Tate's, uh, I spoke to Omar this week his honeysuckle project in Philadelphia. Um, uh, there's a, a group that's doing, putting together something called the Maloma Heritage Center, 
um, in South Carolina um, that that just launched this year, just launched very recently, um, like a month or two ago. Um, and uh, that seems to be amazing work, both uh, connected to land ownership and to um, to exploring the culinary heritage of the Black diaspora. Um, wow. it's, it's, it's exciting stuff. Yeah, and man. so to be able to support that uh, and to encourage other folks to support them is, uh, it's, wow. it's an amazing opportunity. Yeah, it's, it's terrific. And I was a fan of Talenti uh, ice cream yeah. before gelato. <laughs> totally. Um, delicious so it's wonderful that they stepped up and reached out to you and that that's happening so yeah i really appreciate it it's fantastic thank you uh, yeah um okay so let's take a little break here and we'll come back and we'll play my speed round game we'll talk industry news we'll have my solo dining experience and the final question so stay with us this is all in the industry on heritage radio network Every time your customers eat and drink, they vote for the world they want to live in. And as the world's largest B Corp, to know North America helps people vote for a better world with all kinds of better dairy, coffee, and plant-based products sourced and produced transparently. To know North America has the brands people know and love, like International Delight, Oikos, Silk, So Delicious Dairy Free, Horizon Organic, and Stoke Cold Brew Coffee. But Deneau North America represents more than just in-demand brands and better-for-your-business products. They bring their B Corp certification to life in ways that protect the environment and communities by utilizing 100% renewable electricity sources to produce their products at their manufacturing facilities, committing $6 million to programs that restore the soil's ability to capture and sequester carbon, helping to restore more than 7.8 billion gallons to freshwater ecosystems through their water partnerships over the past decade, and committing to 100% reusable, recyclable, and compostable packaging by 2025. Learn how you can choose better at DenoneAwayFromHome.com. Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. My guest today is Clay Williams. He's a Brooklyn-based photographer who specializes in food, drinks, and events, and he's the co-founder of Black Food Folks, a fellowship of Black professionals in food and drink. So, Clay, it's time for my speed round game. What this is, is I'm going to name a couple things, and you get to pick your preference, such as chocolate or vanilla. Okay. You ready? Mm-hmm. Okay, here we go. Eat in or eat out? Um, these days, it's all eat out, right? <laughs> Whether it's outdoor dining or or takeaway, but yeah, eat out. Eat out. Wine, beer, cocktail, non-alcoholic beverage, or champagne? Um, I actually, my wife just brought me a cocktail, which I'm very happy about. Um, <laughs> But, uh, but typically I will go with, is it, it's just pick one, right? Yeah. Just pick one. Uh, wine. Tasting menu or a la carte? A la carte. Small plates or large plates? Um, I still like small plates. I know there's a little bit of black backlash against that, but small plates are fun interesting i feel i think about doing the show with so many people i i think that one it goes different ways yeah. <laughs> it's kind of almost 50 50 right. okay i have a couple more uh communal table or chef's counter chef's counter every time tipping or all-inclusive charge all-inclusive definitely shooting portraits or events portraits not sure where you're going to go with that one. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Instagram Live or Zoom? Instagram Live, absolutely. Yeah, I figured that. Uh, okay, last two are cheese plate or dessert? Cheese plate. Manhattan or Brooklyn? Brooklyn. Awesome, that's the game. 
Awesome. I, yeah. I actually don't remember the last time I was in Manhattan. It's what it's been the interesting side effect of of the quarantine and and everything is. Uh, I, I can really spend more time appreciating my own neighborhood and the places uh, closer to me. Yeah, yeah, I, I hear you on that. Okay, so industry news. Uh, yesterday, Esquire's Best New Restaurants in America list came out of 2020, and this is by Jeff Gordonaire. He's been on my show twice. He's one of the few people who's who's managed to to be my guest more than once, and I, I love Jeff. And this list um, he put together uh, with with the help of his editor Kevin Sintuamong Sintuamuang. I think that's how you say it. Um, I was really happy that they didn't cancel their list this year because a lot of publications have. And I think it's it's a great it's great to celebrate restaurants and chefs and successes um, in this time, especially that's so challenging. And somebody you've, you've named twice now um, is on this list, Omar Tate. <laughs> I was actually with Jeff and Kevin when they ate at Honeysuckle last, uh, almost a year ago. It was last December um, here in New York. Um, so I knew, oh, wow. I, I, I'm jealous. Yeah. <laughs> Omar does amazing work. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's interesting because, because Jeff noted um, in something he, he wrote about his picks of how mm-hmm. uh, the chef of the year, who, which he gave to Omar, he doesn't have a yeah. restaurant. Uh, he also noted the drink of the year doesn't have alcohol in it. And they gave huh. that to Gia. Um, and, and the pastry chef, um, is someone who's in baking and activism, uh, Paola. Paola. Very she's also a host of ours from time to time, too. Oh, sorry. Say that again. Sorry. She's also a host on Black Food Folks, uh, Black Food Folks from time to time, oh, too. Oh, cool. Cool. Yeah. Um, I've seen I've seen her, I mean, through through the, 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 the I don't know, the past few months, um, just yeah. uh, all over social media and her work. And uh, yeah, and I think TikToks. <laughs> Oh, TikTok? Yeah, she posts a lot of TikToks. Uh, well, she posts them on Instagram. I'm I'm too old for TikTok, but uh, she posts them in her reels on 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 Instagram, and they're very silly. It's oh, a, cool. it's a lot of fun. Yeah, I'll have to look for them. Um, yeah, I, I I was I was I was happy. I I don't know this list. You know, it's it's like I'm I was familiar with many of the names or restaurants on it, and mm-hmm. some I wasn't. Uh, but it was nice. He gave. Uh, Nihao, which is in Baltimore, and it's a mm-hmm. collaboration with Peter Chang and his family yeah. and PJ Ong um, yeah. on the list. And uh, there was some uh, Kalaya in Philadelphia, um, mm-hmm. which I'd been to. Actually, I was at the Philly Chef Conference uh, the awesome. same. And Jeff was there, too. And I went nice. that weekend and it was excellent. And that was one of his favorites. So, yeah, I went to Kalaya with. Um, Jamila Robinson and some folks. Uh, last time I was in Philly, it's uh, it was a great experience. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's a wonderful restaurant. He's got he's got some more casual places like Field Trip and Nami Nori, which are in New right. York. And yeah. it's I, I mean I I think it's as I said I think it's nice to to acknowledge and celebrate. And um, if anyone wants to check this list out, it's it's on Esquire's. Uh, website and um, I'm just happy happy for the people receiving some accolades. Absolutely. So um, that's that. And uh, let me do my solo dining experience. So this week it's at Ollie's Pizza. So here's the rundown. The location for Bruceville Road, High Falls, Hudson Valley, New York. The concept it's an old school wood oven Roman style pizza place with a full bar and outdoor seating. Uh, the owners are Anise Lawrence, Sophie Peltzer Rollo, and Ilan Bachrach. And on their website, it says they're long, lifelong friends. Uh, the pizza is by Frank Pinello, who's of Best Pizza in Brooklyn. 
So why did I go? Well, this is a, a couple of weeks ago. I was up in Hudson Valley. I wanted to check out the fall leaves turning and appreciate this beautiful time of year. Um, and I'd heard of this place. Uh, actually, Jeff Gordonaire is one of the people I'd heard it from. He was posting on Instagram. So um, it was on my radar. So my experience, uh, it was a, a Friday night in October. I, I went on the early side. Uh, it was kind of an off hour because I I heard it was popular and I figured a better chance, better chance of getting a table. And it was, it was, there were people there at this early hour, but um, I was able to order right away and sit outside. Um, and uh, at, I got a picnic table for myself actually. And you ordered up front and then took a number and they brought uh, your order out to you. And um, I actually got two pizzas because, hey, when I'm upstate and trying a place out, why not? And they brought them out and they came on this like cute little stand, one pizza above the other. So it was a, it was a nice presentation. And I also asked for a pizza box because I knew I was going to finish everything. So what did I get? I got the margarita pizza and the white pizza. And I also got the house sparkling water. Uh, my take, both were delicious. Uh, they're kind of a cross between a single size pizza and a more shareable pie. Uh, the margarita had a really nice tasty sauce. Uh, it wasn't, it had, it was, it was a doughy pizza, but not too doughy. Uh, the crust had a nice bite and the white pizza had uh, sesames on the crust, which I haven't seen before. And so I thought that was a nice touch. Um, and yeah, they were both great. The ambiance. So Ollie's is in a building known as the Black Barn, and it has an outdoor area with socially distanced picnic tables. Uh, very, very cozy, um, even though it's like right across from its parking lot, but it just had a cool ambiance. Um, perfect for casual bite with friends. Interesting tidbit. Uh, they also have grandma square pizza and, um, I'd seen that posted by Jeff. And so next time maybe I'll try that out. Personal fun fact. Uh, while I was up there, I did some nice outdoor exercise. I walked over the walkway over the Hudson and I also climbed Mount Beacon, a little trail up there. And that was, that was really cool. And the leaves were glorious. It was good timing. Uh, so the cost of this meal, I, it was $34. That's not including tax gratuity. And they also had a 3% COVID charge, which I haven't seen that much, even though I know it's people are allowed to do it, but they, they were implementing it. So that was good for them. Um, and uh, would I go back? Yes, their website is ollies.pizza. That's www.ollies.pizza. So there we go. Clay, you ever you spend any time up upstate a bit or... In the, in the Hudson? Not, not recently. Um, I haven't been. I haven't been much of anywhere recently. Um, uh, but uh, but I yeah. keep hearing about all the great options up there. Actually, on the, I saw on the list um, on Jeff's list uh, in Esquire, um, um, Dale Talde's place is, uh, is is listed there, and that sounds pretty exciting too. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it that was on the list too, and. Um, uh, um, oh, Trout Beck, I think, was also on it, is another mm -hmm. place um, upstate. So definitely, I've been, yeah, in this uh, in this time period I with my travel versus getting on a plane, I've just sort of right. taken, taken some road trips. Yeah, so. it's the time for that. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm, I keep hearing. I'm, yeah. not a, I'm not a driver, so I have, uh, I have, one uh been spending a lot more money on on lift rides but also uh that means i haven't really uh, my only my only trip out of new york uh since i think february was uh um going down to philly to see uh to see some family about a month ago um so i'm definitely eager to be able to to get on the road again yeah well um if uh, I'm, I, I'd be happy to go back upstate myself. It's kind of, yeah. kind of a nice, nice little getaway. So, and totally, I'd like to get totally. down to, to Philly too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, okay. So let's do the final question. Uh, my next guest is Ben Checkroon. He is the general manager at Blue Point Hospitality, and that's in Maryland. And Ben was formerly the longstanding maitre d' at Le Bernardin in New York City. And he made this this move um, during uh, the 
you know, a couple months ago at the beginning of the pandemic. Right. So, um, Clay, what would you like to ask Ben? Um, I mean, I have to wonder what it's like balancing. Uh, well, I guess the question is, what's it like balancing, um, you know, the hospitable, the hospitality experience for your guests with, um, you know, with safety concerns, with the the ideas of of also taking care of your staff and 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 everyone and keeping everybody safe. You know, that's uh, that's the big challenge these days. And I'm wondering what, um, you know, what are the, the concrete steps being done to, to do that? Yeah, absolutely. That's a good question. And um, I'm sure there's so many different challenges now. So yeah. um, I will ask him and uh, and yeah, he, he was with Lombard and N for so long. I, it's got to sure. be. You know, that's also, it's uh, going to be interesting to talk to him, see what it's like to be a, a, a new experience. Right. Absolutely. So, um, well, thank you so much. Uh, it was thank you. wonderful to chat with you and to, and it's been wonderful to see everything you've been doing during this, this pandemic period and, and before, you know, as I said, I feel like, I feel like so many times I would go to events and I would see you there and it was, um, it was, it was always great. And I miss that. So I hope, I hope yeah. we can get back to that again at some point. Yeah, I absolutely miss that. I miss running into you and everybody else at all the different food and tasting events and, uh, and, you know, being happy in a crowded room. Right. Um, yeah. Well, when, uh, well, looking congratulations on everything and hope to see you soon. I'll certainly be looking for you online in the meantime. <laughs> awesome. Thanks a lot, Sherry. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. My pleasure. My guest today has been Clay Williams. He's a Brooklyn-based photographer specializing in food, drinks, and events, and he's the co-founder of Black Food Folks, a fellowship of Black professionals in food and drink. His website is claywilliamsphoto.com, and you can follow him at Ultra Clay and at Black Food Folks. You can follow me at Sherry Bayer, at Bayer PR, and at All Industry. My Facebook page is All in the Industry, and my websites are BayerPublicRelations.com, SherryBayer.com, and AllInTheIndustry.com. All of our shows are archived at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We are also on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. Thanks to my engineer today, Amanda Wang, and thanks again to Clay. I'm Sherry Bayer. We're off next week for Thanksgiving. So my next show will be on Wednesday, December 2nd with Ben. So I hope you'll tune in then. Until then, have a wonderful and delicious Thanksgiving. Stay safe and well, and thank you for being part of All in the Industry. Bye. All in the Industry is powered by Simplecast. I'm Sherry Bayer, and you're listening to Heritage Radio Network, a member-supported podcast network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. This year, HRN is celebrating 10 years of food radio. For the past decade, we've been taking you behind the scenes of farms, restaurants, breweries, school cafeterias, and more. It's been 10 years, and we're just getting started. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org.